show for you and it's March and this is a whole month of the making of certain albums and today we got a great album and this is the rock show episode 108 and uh Mike which album are we it's a great one from the Stooges yes it's called raw power okay it's the last album from the original lineup um came out in 1973 and you know in my opinion, and I, I think a lot of people share this with me, I would put this in the top 10 greatest albums ever made. I, I agree. Okay. Uh, it, it's one of these records, and I've, I've mentioned this before, how you know nothing was the same after. And it, it kind of affected and created different genres as soon as it was put out. All right, because obviously it's, it's a proto-punk record. Definitely. Okay, which means that, I mean, most importantly, it's that. And it's, uh, you know, obviously the, the Ramones, the Sex Pistols, these guys, the Clash, these guys before they even started bands were listening to this album. Okay. But it also, you know, it came out at a time when, it, you know, glitter rock and glam rock was big. Uh, I kind of lump it in with that a little bit, and you can make an argument for that. And also, I mean, just straight up heavy metal. I mean, bands like uh, uh, Motley Crue and some of the speed metal bands later on, okay, Metallica, things like that, point to this record as a big influence. So, um, you know, it came out uh, this time of year, February 7th, actually, of 1973. And, I mean, you think about 73, um, so many great albums came out around that time. You had this one. You had uh, uh, Lou Reed's um, Berlin, I believe. Um, you had uh, New York Dolls' first album came out. Um, the Stones were doing uh, Goat's Head Soup in 73. I mean, off the top of my head, I know there's a lot more, but but... It you was know, the time some, when you needed to have some money to buy an album because there was so much great You were buying songs. albums every week. Every, every week. fucking week. I know I, <laughs> I would have been. I would have been. I mean, I you know, I came a few years later, but, I mean, in 73, you were definitely buying a good two, three albums a month. I mean, there yeah. was so much great music coming out at that time. Um, you know, they had two other records before this, all right? Uh, the first one came out in 1969 called The Stooges. Yeah. And then the second one came out in 70 called Funhouse. Both of them, you know, they were on Electra Records. Uh, Danny Fields, the great uh, manager, kind of Svengali kind of guy, you know, he discovered them for Electra and got them signed with the MC5. We did a show on The Stooges last year. We went into all yeah. that. Um, but these albums didn't sell, these two albums. Yeah. Uh, and and there was a lot of infighting in the band, a lot of, uh, by 1970, um, they had added 
James Williamson as a second guitarist. Okay. Um, you know, some of the reasons they did that is because Dave Alexander, the bass player, was very unreliable and falling deeper and deeper into alcoholism and problems. And having that extra guitar player that kind of helped a little bit, you know, with the sound for the live shows. He didn't, Will, uh, Williamson didn't play on Funhouse or, or the first album, but he played them live in 70. And um, basically by 71, the band broke up. Um, it, it, you know, it was a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. Electra dropped them um, because of sales and also Iggy's uh, kind of descent into heroin abuse. And, yeah. and, you know, they were a tough band to, to, to deal with if they were on your label, you know. So um, they kind of went on. They broke up, but they kind of Iggy and Williamson had this camaraderie. They, they realized they could write together pretty good. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, they left America for London in 1972, okay, the two of them, to write and record an album together. <clears throat> and the thought was going to be it would be like an Iggy solo project or something like that, okay? Now, uh, just to mention as a side note, after Raw Power, they would break up forever you know they would reunite many many years later with a slightly different lineup that you know in the in the uh early 2000s but uh from you know that was the official end of the uh after raw power um williamson and iggy would do an album together okay uh which everybody should check out you know that's just something they did after raw power but um williamson like i said was in the band until they broke up in 71, yep. came back, started writing this album with Iggy. Now, actually, it, it it came together because of David Bowie. All right. Now, Bowie is given the producing credit on Raw Power, though he really didn't produce all that much. He, he just basically mixed it. And we'll get into the mix because the mix is his part of the history. Yeah. Really. It's, you know, it, it's kind of like... Uh, Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreak is LAMF. Okay, that's always been the the mix has always been part of the history. It's not too often that the the actual sound of the record becomes part of the mythology of the record, but raw power that's definitely true. Okay, um, they basically went to England, were writing, and when they started getting ready to record, they had some British guys playing with them, and it just wasn't clicking. Okay, they couldn't get a good rhythm section, a good drummer, a good bass player. So um, James Williamson suggested to Iggy, why doesn't he fly over Ron Ashton and his brother Scott Ashton? Yeah, that's... who were the who were the guitarists and the drummer, the, the, the two brothers in yeah. the studio. So Iggy agreed, and he called them up. They agreed to come out to to England, and um, but it had become clear kind of that some of the dynamics of that lineup had changed. Okay. Yeah. James Williamson was much more assertive in his control of the band at that point. And he, you know, this, this is part of the mythology too, because Ron Ashton was always the guitarist. James Williamson was the second guitarist. Okay. But he, uh, Williamson asked Ron Ashton to switch over to bass. 
yeah. on this album, which he reluctantly did. Um, but I think it would always be something that would kind of haunt Ron Ashton for the rest of his life that he had he really didn't shine out on raw power as much as he could have. And Ron Ashton was a fucking great guitarist. He passed away a few years back. Uh, but uh, he, he was a, a fantastic underrated guitar player and James Williamson, no slouch. I mean, he, you know, nah, he, all these guys are he, very good, good, good musicians. They yeah. can play and, they and can do Scott, whatever. And Scott Ashton on drums. They called yeah. him rock Ashton. Yeah. He's amazing. Okay. Yeah. Both of the, both of the Ashton brothers, have passed on to better things. But uh, James Williamson just came out with a solo album like a year ago. That's pretty good. It was his first ever. He got out of the business after raw power. Basically he, he did kill city with Iggy and then got out of the business for like 30 fucking years. <laughs> oh, I, want, I wonder if we could get on the show. He's friends with me on Facebook. Uh, I have not chatted with him yet, but definitely, definitely. Yeah. Would. I'd love to get, I mean, you know, he's, that would freak me out, just even talking to him. I, I, I think we could talk about this album, because let me tell you, this is definitely an album that changed the fucking music world. And I think you listen to this album from the first song to the... And it was a short album. It was about 34 minutes. Yeah, it's not a long record. Eight, eight great songs. You have four, yeah. four great I mean, every, songs. Every song's on. about three minutes and change. Yeah. Um, perfect. Um, I was watching a documentary on it, in my research for the show tonight. Yeah. And uh, there was a point that Iggy made. It was a documentary I don't think I ever seen before. Um, a point that Iggy was making about uh, uh, Williamson and his guitar playing was kind of reminiscent of what would become speed metal. And I never really thought about it before. Wow. But you, you know, when you listen to it, it's almost that it's, yeah. it's definitely it's definitely, you know, halfway there, if not more, because it's like it's so heavy and fast, yet it's melodic, you know, too, you know, and, and, and I and I think it's one of the best guitar works I've ever heard on, on a rock album. OK, I mean, it's just searing leads and searing solos and, and but rhythm and, and everything else. Because they were only, I mean, you know, of course, it's there's multi tracks and they they overdub, but really it's oh, just yeah. one guitar player, one guitar player. That's it. All right, and a bass player. That's it. But um, the the beginnings of this album, the, the the kind of impetus of it, really started at Max's Kansas City here in New York City. Okay, uh, after the Stooges broke up, Iggy kind of half-assed relocated here. He didn't have two quarters to rub together. But uh, he was hanging out a lot at Max's. This was like 72. Uh, Alice Cooper was there a lot playing. If he wasn't playing, he was hanging out. Uh, the Warhol crowd, the New York Dolls, that whole scene. And uh, it was David a who's who's. It was a it's who's who's. Who yeah, right. David Bowie did. was there one night and uh, met Iggy. And I'm not sure if it was for the first time. Uh, I'm not <laughs> sure if they had ever met before. But but um, uh, Bowie was a huge Stooges fan. Yep. I mean, he was he was covering their stuff, you know, as a solo artist in 1970, 71. Yep. Okay. And Bowie, this was right around the time when Ziggy Stardust was coming out. 
Okay. Again, 1973. Okay. And he had a management company called Main Man. All right. And, and there was a guy named Tony DeFreeze that was Bowie's manager for Main Man. And um, they had a few bands under their belts. And um, they asked Iggy, do you want us to manage you? And we can get you a record deal with Columbia because Bowie was affiliated with Columbia. And he agreed. You know, he didn't have anything else going on. He needed money. Okay. <laughs> and uh, he agreed. And um, when they, that's how they ended up going out to England. And it was kind of going to be just an Iggy solo album. That was the original idea. But once Ashton was brought in, the two Ashtons, now you've got basically a, a Stooges reunion minus Dave Alexander, who really was in no shape to play. In fact, he would only live a couple more years after that. I think he died in 76 or so. Um, but when, when this all came together in England, it became known as Iggy and the Stooges, which was different than the first two albums, which was just the Stooges, but just a slightly different dynamic there. Now, the initial... Uh, demo sessions were held at the R.G. Jones studio in Wimbledon. And there was a sound engineer named Jerry Kitchingham. And also they did some demos at the Olympic studios in Barnes. Olympic is a famous studio. The Stones have recorded. Everybody has. Okay. Uh, that was also with sound engineer Keith Harwood. Those two guys were responsible for kind of getting some of that sound together, which would become raw power at least in demo form. Now, Columbia Records gave him a contract and they basically insisted that there were two ballads on the record, one wow. on each side. Okay, they insisted on that. Uh, that's how you get the songs, Gimme Danger. Yeah. And I, and I Need Somebody. Okay, I Need Somebody was on side two. Gimme Danger was on side one. I, I never think of Gimme Danger really as a ballad, but, but it is, I guess, because it's a slow song. But but it's such a, I, I, I don't know. It, if there's any record that can actually, I, I, I know that, I mean, now it sounds kind of lame, but in 73, this record had to scare the shit out of people. Oh, yeah, because it was okay. ahead of its time. It was incredible. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was, you know, the delivery in his vocals and the way he growled in all these songs, a lot of like, you know, just growling, angry tones in his voice. Um, I would think that, you know, being a parent in the Nixon era, I think you'd be freaking out if your kid is listening to that, you know? But parents are probably hiding under the bed hearing the fucking Yeah, exactly. This is the devil's music. Play it backwards. Play it backwards. That's right. That's right. Now, the whole album, once they were ready to record it, would be recorded at the CBS studios in London. Uh, there was a staff engineer named Mike Ross Trevor that was in charge. Uh, this was from September 10th, 1973 through October. I'm sorry, September 10th, 1972, excuse me, through October 6th of 1972. So uh, slightly less than 30 days to wow. make the record. Yeah. Now, Pop produced the record, even though Bowie has the credit yeah but iggy really and the band produced it themselves uh bowie stayed hands off at first but what happened was 
Iggy decided to mix the record. Yeah. Okay. And he fucked it up. Yeah. I totally <laughs> fucked it up. <laughs> he totally fucked it up. And he would um, accidentally kind of mix most of the instruments on one channel and then the vocals and a little bit of the instruments on the right channel. Right. Oh. <laughs> and it just it sounded horrible. Okay. So he really had no concept and no real idea how to do it. No. But, you know, and, and, and as far as like tone and things like that, he really didn't understand that. So Tony DeFreeze, it's almost the head like, of name man. Hmm? Remember last week where we were doing the motorhead? Yeah. The, the documentary, you see those two guys. Do you think those two what they were doing that kid that it was like they would look like they were checking the sound out? Yeah. The, I, I think they were just like yeah. they look like yeah, that was all that was bullshit. You know? <laughs> that was well, you know what? You, you know what? Give I'll give I'll give him the benefit of the doubt because that documentary was like, you know, 30 years later. So maybe yeah. they figured it out. But well, in nineteen eighty, I don't know. Oh, no, I don't know if they only had to do that. <laughs> so on, later on, they probably did because they were older and they figure it out. You know? Yeah, I mean, just around for that long. Yeah. I'm sure Lemmy had some knowledge, but not the other guys. No, not anyway. That. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, Tony DeFreeze, who was managing them through Main Man, yeah. uh, told Iggy that, "Listen, you fucked this up. It's all right. We're gonna bring in Bowie, and he's gonna remix it for you." But the problem was that. Iggy liked the way it sounded, some of it, okay? Even though it was fucked up. And he yeah. liked the way Search and Destroy came out. Yeah. Okay? And, uh, you know, I've heard parts of Iggy's mixes originally from 73 because it was bootlegged for many years, and I, I might have had yeah. one or two of them over the yeah. years. And, and it, 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 that one song he got right. Just somehow in the mix, he got it right. So he rest, insisted that the rest you was know, terrible. <laughs> it, yeah, it must have just been a stroke of luck or, or yeah. why he did it right, you know. But but um, he insisted, okay, if if Bowie's gonna remix it, just I want Search and Destroy to stay the same. He could do the other seven songs. You so know that was the that was the agreement. You know why Search and Destroy and the uh, uh, Search and Destroy was so. Cause he did absolutely no, nothing to it, no remix, nothing. He just didn't touch it. He played it, and it came out like that. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe there's no mix at all in that. I don't I'm, know. I'm telling you, the guy shit. He just <laughs> sounds good. Next song. <laughs> well, what one of the other main problems with this whole production is they really were kind of on a, a shoestring budget. Okay? Yeah. So the story goes is that. Bowie had really just one day to do the remixing, and that was it. He took the mixes that, that he had, the seven songs, and went to L.A. Um, at a place called Western Sound Recorders, okay? And uh, he took it there. He spent a day remixing it, okay? And, the, you know, the story goes is that the, the actual mixing board in that place was from, like, the 50s. Oh, so it, okay. it longer then. It, it, it well, it it only took one day to do it. That's all he had. But he was dealing with equipment that was like used, like you know, back in Elvis's time, twenty yeah, years earlier. I bet you it took all day to just oh like, sure all day. Like it wasn't something like he had one day, but it took all day. 
Like yeah, probably yeah. with today's equipment, probably would have taken like a few hours. Now that probably like twenty hours. Well, remember that everything <laughs> everything back then was analog. Yeah. Okay. So totally different process than what you have yeah. today. But yeah. even compared from seventy three, if something was twenty years old, it was already almost obsolete, even by that point. Um now when Raw Power was released on February 7th, 1973. Uh, the, the, the band was called Iggy and the Stooges, which I said before was a, a little bit of a change from the first time around. But they had to come up with an album cover. Okay. Now, some people say that, you know, Iggy had a lot to do with that cover. That's not really true. Okay. It was a, a quick shoot done by Mick Rock, the famous photographer. Okay. Okay. And um, let me, sh I have a book here. Now, I'm a huge Stooges fan, so you could see this. Uh, give me a second. Can you see this? Yeah. Right here? Yeah. Okay, that's the that's the cover of, of Raw Power. Yeah, that's a great okay. cover. I, I always oh, it thought is. that it's, was a it's great like, cover. It's iconic. It's you iconic. Know? It's the same with the mic. And here's another great picture, Iggy, with fucking gold paint all over him. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, how can you go on stage like that covered in gold paint? You're going to, like, suffocate, you know? But uh, this book here, it's the coffee table book, the authorized and illustrated story of the Stooges. Very cool book. And, of course, there's a whole chapter dedicated to raw power. Um... A lot of pictures, mostly not too much text in this book. I don't know if you can see that, that's James Williamson at the left, Iggy, Ron Ashton, and and Scott Ashton right there. Okay. Um, Okay. Do you think they knew what they were doing when they got that? Um, what they were doing the um, this album? Did they know what a masterpiece of an album they were making? They probably had no. They didn't even have a clue. Yeah. They just went in there. They just went in and did it. Yeah, okay. it's cool. Some, some other cool live shots from that era. Yeah. Okay. Um. But that's what you think, Mike. They just went in there. They didn't even know what they had. Boom. Is Iggy yeah. Iggy like half naked? <laughs> Almost totally naked. Okay. I mean, you know, they they went look, these guys were <laughs> at that point, you know, Iggy Iggy's always been, you know, at that time he was he was still a genius. Yeah. Okay, really just a performance artist genius. Okay, not just rock and roll. He had a a method to what he was doing. Uh you know, I've read his bio and he talks about you know, being influenced by like Dionysian Greek theater type things that you know nobody knows what that shit is, but but a lot of like <laughs> a lot a lot a lot of like like you know the way he performed live is based on a lot of like ancient you know stuff. Okay, yeah. and uh, he would bring that to the rock show. I mean, this guy used to roll around on broken glass. Okay, you know he would. You know, there's one famous concert in '70 at the in Cincinnati, a, a festival outside, where he just he walks on the crowd, 
He's, 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 he's walking. People are just holding him up. It's like he's Jesus, okay? He's walking <laughs> on the ground. And out of nowhere, someone just gives him a tub of peanut butter. I mean, why that's in the crowd, I have no fucking clue, okay? But, and he just takes his hand and he smears it all over himself, throws it into the audience. You know, no one ever seen it. And that was on live TV, like 4 o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> and if you, ever have, if you ever have a chance to see the, the broadcast of it, it's on YouTube. The, the announcer sounds like, you know, like a wild world of sports, Howard Cosell type guy. Okay? Yeah. And he's just like, and now he's walking on the crowd and now he's smearing peanut butter all over himself. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe this, some, well, somebody this was, was hungry. Oh, yeah. What's that? Probably somebody was hungry in the crowd and they would say, here's some peanut butter. Yeah, I guess. I mean, if you, it was one of those festivals where you were standing around for 15 hours or something. Oh, yeah, you know yeah. I mean? They probably yeah. were making butter and jelly sandwich all day, Everybody man. Everybody was... Tripping on acid and eating peanut butter, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, getting into some of the songs, um, Search and Destroy. Iconic. Which is probably, you know, iconic, one of the yeah. most famous songs off that album. And the song Shake Appeal, which is a great tune. Yeah. Uh, were both released as singles. Okay. And the title track, Raw Power, which is fantastic. That Another was great song. A single, yeah. I mean, it's not a bad song on the album. Um, it was released as a single only in Japan. Now, one of my personal favorites on the album is the song "Your Pretty Face Is Going to Hell." Yeah. Okay, that's a, a one of the best titles ever for a song. What All right. The uh, original title was uh, "Hard to Beat." Of your oh yeah, your pretty face is going to hell. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I think it was hard to beat. Over the years, there's been. Um, Raw Power, the the outtakes of it, and then some of the live live stuff that they did at that era. They had songs that that weren't on the album that they were performing live, possibly in anticipation of a new album, which never okay. happened. But okay. uh, yeah, I mean, they had songs like "Cock in My Pocket," okay, "Hard to Beat," um, "Open Up and Bleed." All right, uh, there was a song called "I Got a Right." Okay, that they would do live, but those songs were just they they were not on the album. Okay, they, but they've been bootlegged because they were demoed. Okay, around that same time as well, and sh shortly after uh, Raw Power, before the band broke up, um, the album was you know Raw Power was way too radical at that time to really kind of get on the radio. Yeah, no, I uh, can't see too. I can't see yeah. two videos playing. Maybe you know what the number one? You know what the number one song in 1973 was? Why? Just take a guess off the top of your head. Mm, maybe some Marvin Gaye something. Marvin Gaye is in the top ten. Let's get it on and all that. Let's get it okay. on. Yeah, that's what the, I the number. That. The number one song of 1973 in the you know charts yeah. was tie, "Tie a Yellow Ribbon Around the Old Oak Tree." Are you fucking serious? Tony Orlando. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so there was no room on the radio never, for, for Iggy. I would have never guessed that. Yeah. Yep. Tie yellow ribbon. Yep. You're going to lose one of your balls. What was the number? <laughs> Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye. 
<laughs> he was he was in the top ten, but yeah. it was Tony Orlando. Okay? Wow, Tony Orlando. Yeah. Now, even though it didn't get played on the radio, it did get to number one eighty three on Billboard, and it would stay there for about three weeks and then disappear forever off the map. Okay. Um, but you know, of course, over the years, it yeah. got this cult cult following. Um, they would that's tour a, behind it. That's what I was going to tell you. I, I was going to tell you that, that this album was more of a cult following because everybody was talking about it, like any underground thing. Yeah. Talk about oh, you got to listen to this album. This is a great album. Roll Power. That that was the buzz. It was a great album, well, but it didn't get that much radio play. But I think it did a little better in London, right? Did it do better in the UK than yeah. here? Yeah, I think it. You know, like most radical American music, it does better overseas than it does here. Yeah. Of okay. Uh, guys like um, Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols said that he taught himself guitar, how to play guitar with this album. Yeah, fucking okay. But just, just to kind of to kind of understand the Stooges' place in the world in that time, okay, like seventy to seventy-three. Yeah. For instance, like the Ramones before they were the Ramones, yeah, and they were like living in Forest Hills, Queens. Yeah. Okay, they were just like four misfits, outcasts. Okay, but guess what they all had in common? Music. They like they like the Stooges. The Stooges, yeah. In particular, the Stooges. Okay. Yeah, the, the Stooges were that band that I think pretty much most, even from Nirvana to all these people, they oh, all, yeah. they all pretty much, they were like, who do you listen to? To the Stooges. They all listen to the Stooges. They all listen to Motorhead. Yeah. These guys were the pioneer. These like these are the best right. we're gonna give you, man. Well, like, you know, they didn't it. sell, they didn't sell a whole lot of records, but the the Stooges were one of these bands like. The Velvet Underground before them, yeah. the New York Dolls around the same time. They 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 didn't sell a lot of records, but everybody that bought a record started the band. Yeah, yeah. So you know, and went on, and and some of them went on to bigger and better things than yeah. the Stooges ever did. You know, but, but um, Iggy continued like he could just solo oh, yeah, career. No. You know, Iggy did Iggy, great. Iggy's had Iggy's had an incredible career. He's I don't know. I, I I can't say enough good things about Iggy Pop as far as music, uh, even as as a person. I've met him a couple of times. He's a nice guy, cool with his fans. Uh, one of the nicest rock stars I've ever met. I haven't met a lot, but you know, the few that I have met, he was he was definitely one of the nicest. Um, now, what would happen is they would tour behind this album. For a year okay and the album really wasn't selling but they were you know touring uh mostly around america i, I i'm not sure if they made it to england or not uh i have to look that up to be honest with you but they did play all around america at that point and uh everywhere they went you know it was like they influenced that scene yeah. okay i and can see that yeah, yeah, you know, and they played a lot of shows at uh, at Max's Kansas City, okay? You know, they were there a lot, and that all influenced what would become the punk scene, okay? Um, for instance, like my, like my buddy Rick Rivets passed away two years ago now. One of the stories he used to love to tell me, and he was the founder of the New York Dolls, and he was in the Bratz. He gave Kiss their first big gig in New York City. 
Rick was around and he was he was part of that Max's crowd. And he was at the show where Iggy rolled around on like there was so much broken glass on the stage that he was covered in blood. And they all like at the end of the show, he was like shot. And Alice Cooper ended up taking him to the taking him to Beth Israel. <laughs> but, but, but Rick said Rick said that he was helping him get him off the stage, you know, because he was just like bleeding. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this is the kind of crazy shit that would go on. And yeah. uh but wasn't he one of the guys once in a while he would just cut himself up? He mutilated himself. He would cut yeah, I mean he, yeah. He, he, yeah, you know, it was intentional. Yeah, it was okay? one of his he, things. It was one of his things, you know. You like you give you give your all, you know, yeah. whatever. You know, obviously a lot of drugs going on there too. Okay, <laughs> without question, that, that goes that goes without saying. Okay, <laughs> but now after a year, okay, uh, Tony DeFreeze from Main Man had enough because basically Columbia dropped them. Okay, they just weren't they weren't selling. Yeah. Okay, it was a one record deal anyhow, so they dropped them. And then Tony DeFreeze had enough because he he advanced them a lot of money and it went to dope. <laughs> it's all it all went to drugs. Okay. And you Outrage. know, he was yeah, and it, and Iggy was hard to deal with and you know, he would disappear sometimes and things like that. Now, after a year in February of 74, the Stooges would break up. That would be the end of it there. Now, Iggy jetted out to Los Angeles for a while. And basically for about a year, he was in this like, you know, heroin induced stupor. Okay. <laughs> uh, in Los Angeles, staying with whatever chick would have him. He didn't have a home. You know, he was living in hotels and places like that. Um 1975 or so, he would try to get himself together. He went to rehab, um, and he also ended up in a psychiatric hospital. Wow. Okay. But by 76, Bowie would come to the rescue again for him, and they would go to do, like, the, uh, the Idiot together, that album, Lust for Life, that album. Uh, both those came out, like, 76, 77. And then he would go on to have this – you know, fantastic solo career for the next 45 years, yeah. <laughs> you know, do, doing all kinds of things. And the Stooges would get back together around 2003. Yeah, uh, I remember that. They did a bunch of shows all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I got, and I finally got to see them. I was too young to see them in the 70s. But I think, uh, they, I think they, I, they played all the way like on 179th Street. They played that. That was, that was an Iggy, that was an Iggy solo show. Oh, okay. Cause okay. a lot of people go to that um, show. You know where they, you know where I saw them of all places mm. in 2003? Where? I saw them at Jones Beach. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Sonic Youth was opening up for them. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now, critics, when, when Raw Power came out, a lot of them liked it. Okay. They, they gave it great reviews. They, okay. they, they didn't uh, get one single bad review. Everybody gave it a very yeah, good review. Yeah, they, they almost always got good reviews. Now, rock critic Lester Bangs praised the band all the time. He was yeah. praising them about he was praising them back in 70. Okay. Uh some critics were saying it's the best album of the 70s so far. Yeah. Okay. Uh Lenny Kay, who was 
the guitar player for Patti Smith later on. He was writing a rock writer that he wrote for Rolling Stone. Uh, he said that um, Bowie's mix, okay, is kind of what dragged you into the record, the way he, the way Bowie mixed the record. Yeah. Now, you know, again, the mix has always been kind of the focal point on this album. Uh, some accused Bowie of kind of muddying down that mix. Okay, like the drums and the guitars are a little muddied, and some, like Lenny K, say that that that's good. That that sounds fine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my personal opinion is I I agree with Lenny K. I yeah. think it's great the way it was released. I okay? thought it was great. It was very good. Yeah, it's now, a very good album. Right now, the original mix of it that Iggy did, okay, uh, got bootlegged, like I mentioned many times. And in 1993, it was actually officially released by Bomp Records. Uh, and it was called, it, yeah, it was called Rough Power, okay? And it was the album, but it was Iggy's original mix. Now, most people kind of felt that that mix was interesting, and it was to listen to, okay? But they also but, say suck. Yeah, <laughs> it's just not as good as the Bowie release. Nah. Okay? But interestingly enough, you should check out what came out in 1996 just as a comparison because in 1996 Columbia records asked Iggy to uh, basically remix this right now the way yeah. you want it. Okay. They were going to re-release the record on CD uh, and he agreed to do it based on, the existence of Rough Power, which wasn't yeah. that good, okay? And he also disliked the 1989 CD release of the album when it first came out on disc. Okay. He didn't like the way, he didn't like the way it sounded. Now, I, I don't think they changed much with it. You know, uh, what, it, it was, you know what it was? The, the sound was a lot more crispier when you heard it on CD. I think that's what it was. It sounded a lot... More cleaner on CD a it, little bit. It, it, it might have. I don't know. Maybe he was expecting more out of it. Okay, uh, uh, you know, better than it was. I thought it kind of sounded the same as the record, maybe slightly crisper, like you're saying. This was in '89. Okay, yeah. and I had I had it, the record since like early '80s, maybe '81, '82. I discovered that album. Let me tell you, and, I had uh, the record and I had the CD. And put just, them side to side. Just let them both play. You hear him? You can yeah. tell the difference, but the, mm -hmm. the CD one was a little bit louder than the record. Yeah. And you can okay. actually hear the guitars. You can, like, you can hear the instruments a lot better than the record. The record, you heard the vocals a lot better. I the think that was the were problem. Were okay, I've never, the I've never sat there and compared the two. But, but that, um, that's what it was. That's what if you, yeah, if you yeah. ever do it, if you listen to vocals, on the record were a lot better than the vocals on the CD. I think that's why he was so disappointed. Right. Now, in 97, though, when he was getting a second chance at remixing yeah. this, okay, um, critics and fans, when it came out in 97, uh, they had mixed reviews on it, too, because if you listen to Iggy's mix from 97, yeah, it's kind of like the vocals are brought up the guitar is very loud, okay? It's loud almost to distortion. Yeah. And Iggy's been questioned on that, and he said that he he left the needle in the red on purpose, 
okay, to get a little bit of distortion on it. And some felt that there was too much of it. Uh, but again, it's it's actually when you listen to that CD, it's one of the loudest recorded CDs that I've oh, ever yeah. heard. I okay. never heard. Yeah. I never heard that. Yeah, one. you gotta you gotta turn it down. It's actually like wow. Loud. Yeah. Now James Williamson and Ron Ashton hate that mix. They hated it. Okay. Uh, they preferred the Bowie mix. Okay. Uh, and they actually told Iggy that you know whatever, but. The boy you know, mix the I, is the boy mix to me is the is the one you want to get. I, rough, I, I agree. Rough power, I agree. Rough, rough power is good, but the David Boy mix is just it's a beautiful album. It's like a perfect no, it, album. It, it Everything is. is good. You it know, is. You, it is. And, and Bowie himself, he kind of pat himself on the back. He says, "Yeah, I didn't like Iggy's remix of it that much." Okay, I don't think it's something you can really fix. Just like uh, like LAMF with the Heartbreakers. All yeah. right, that album's been Walter Law tried to fix it. Thunders tried to remix it. Uh, track <laughs> Records, the Jungle Records, whatever label was on, was always trying to fix it. But you always go back to the original mix. Yeah. That's me. You know, I, I always do. And Bowie, <sighs> Bowie's mix of Raw Power, I, I never felt was really that bad. Nah, it was it's fantastic. An it's an album you can crank up. You know what I mean? So whether you love or kind of hate the production of it, there's, there's no doubt that this Stooges Raw Power record and even Funhouse before it and the, the self-titled first album, um, they're very important rock and roll records. Everybody should have these records in your collection, at to least me, Raw Power. I think Raw Power is the best one. Skip the first two. Out of the, Raw, out of the original three? Yeah. I, yeah. Think Raw, I would just buy Raw Power because that's where you really get the feel. The, the other albums were good, but this is like the one that if you really want to know what the Stooges, you listen to this album. Yeah, I, I can't argue with that. Um, you know? And, and again, it, 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 it came out in 73 and it, it kicked off punk rock. You know the Ramones, the Sex Pistols, the Clash. Yeah, they everybody. were only like two years. They were like two years away from that. Okay, D think about and, it. We're talking about the album today, and look how many years it's been, and what's how iconic album it is. That I, it's I, I, I know, and I think it's still kind of <laughs> you. You know, I I wish I could go back to the early, very early '80s when I discovered the album. Yeah, and that first time I heard it, I was like. You know, mouth dropping, like, you know, what the hell is this? <laughs> what is this? Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you never heard any. I mean, I wish I could go back and get that feeling again because that's such a great feeling, you know. But, uh, you know, early punk rock guys like the Dictators, okay, they always would play Search and Destroy. Uh, the Dead Boys used yeah. to do it. Okay. Um, that year long tour that they did for Raw Power spread that music all over the country. Um, everybody in, in New York City, Cleveland, Los Angeles, they were all seeing these guys. Henry Rollins. Yeah, okay, every, all those guys. He actually, Henry Rollins is a sick motherfucker. He actually has the word search and destroy tattooed on his back. <laughs> yeah, I think I've seen that. I think yeah, I've seen yeah. that. You know, uh, Nikki Six from Motley Crue cites this album as a major influence. Uh, Thurston Moore from Sonic Youth. Okay, Everybody, 
one of his favorites. Yeah. Kurt Cobain, you mentioned him before. Yeah. He said that that was his all-time favorite album. Yep. And you know who else loved the album? Who? Johnny Marr from The Smiths. Wow. Okay. Now, you would think The Smiths, but Johnny Marr is a good guitar player. That was the one thing that I could ever only tolerate with The Smiths. I can't stand Morrissey. But... I but I, you know, I never, I never got the Smith. I don't know why people like them. They're horrible. They're I, 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 if you listen to some of their songs, the guitar work is amazing. But yeah. I, I can't get into Morrissey, man. It kills it for me, you know. But Morrissey, you know, was around in those early punk days, and 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 he was an Iggy fan. Johnny Marr being an Iggy fan yeah. too. But I mean, he, you know, this album influenced everybody. And yeah, you know, like you said, we're still talking about it today. So I'm just glad to be able to give you a little history of it. Yeah, That's let, all I got today for you, Mr. Rossi. Let me tell you, if, if you never heard this album and you're listening to the show right now, this is the album. Download it, purchase it, go to Amazon. But you put this in your collection and you know what? You're at home drinking some whiskey, hanging out. You put this and you're going to hey. have a hell ride. It's a good album to get lumped up to. Yeah, very good album. Very good album <laughs> to get lumped up to. It's a fantastic album. I highly recommend it. Like, I, yep. uh, you know what? If if you want a top, uh, had a top ten, this album would definitely be in my top five. Uh, you yeah. know, because it's, oh, yeah. it's oh, that's yeah. great of an album. It is. Not, it is. And you still you still see it in a lot of jukeboxes and the bars, yeah. and you know, it's always there. Yeah, everybody everybody loves everybody loves it. So, Mike, right. uh, thank you for the great job. And how can we reach you? How can we find you? Okay. Uh, I'm on Facebook under Michael Baker. Okay. Um, got the We got the Rock Show podcast group page, which is slowly and surely getting more members. We're getting close yeah. to 500 now. Yep. Um, you can find me on Instagram, RockerMike212. Okay. I am off Twitter at the moment. I uh, got caught up in that whole throwing off people for their censorship and shit like that thing. Okay. Uh, but hopefully I get that account back, but you could find me also on MeWe under rocker Mike and on clout hub under rocker Mike. Um, hopefully we get the Twitter account back soon. Yeah. But, uh, where can we find you, Rob? Me, you can find me on anything getting lumped up. Uh, you can go to a uh, link tree, Rob Rossi and your thing, the website, t-shirts, um, you know, support the show, everything. When uh, you go to uh, Linktree and you uh, put Rob Rossi, the other thing, you can always Twitter me any questions. You can also uh, send me in my email, uh, Rob Rossi at gettinglockedup.com. And I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and all that good social and media. All shit. you gotta do is all you gotta do is type in on Google "getting lumped up" and uh, we all we all pop up. Well, popped out. You'll be amazed by that. How, how <laughs> I much know. you know? I so, know. So, Mike, next week, uh, who do we have next week? Uh, oh, we're going we're going down a devil's road. Oh yeah, we're definitely yeah. Uh, the making of the Rolling Stones' <clears throat> Satanic Majesty's Request. That's a that's a hell of an album, man. That's a that's hell their, of an album. That's their that's their Sergeant Pepper album, you know. That is their Sergeant Psychedelic Pepper album. album. Oh yeah, that's good. And we pretty much got shows all the way to uh fucking July, man. Yeah. Um. You want me to read a few off here? Yeah. What did we got? Uh, all right. Let's let's see. Um. 
Wow. Okay. So next week we got the making of the Rolling Stones Satanic Majesty's Request. The week after that is the making of the New York Dolls' second album, Too Much yep. Too Soon. Uh, March 29th, we're going to have the making of R.E.M.'s Murmur, which is their debut album. Murmur. Um, Murmur. Then April, we got some interesting ones. We're doing a show on the DJ John Peel. I can't wait for that. Yeah, we might have our buddy Ron Granger on as a special guest, our British celebrity. Um, We got Jeff Beck. That's going to be a good show. That's another good show. I might be getting a musical guest for that show. I'll tell you about it later. Someone okay. that might play some, play some Beck stuff for us. Uh, right. We're doing a show on the Jesus and Mary chain, April 19th. And then I know this one you're looking forward to, Rob. Yeah, uh, Clearwater Revival. I mean, you know what? I, you sent me the list. I'm looking for the Curtis Mayfield one. Should be good. Yeah, that's in, uh, that's in May. In May, we're going to be doing the animals, the animals, Curtis Mayfield. We're doing a history of oi music, which is just working class punk rock. Um, we might have our buddy Fayo on for that. Also, um, we're doing a show on the Slits, the girl punk band from the 70s, the British band. Uh, that's at the end of May. I almost oh. forgot about them until I saw them say, holy shit, I remember them. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. You know, early, early on in the rock show, we mentioned them in like yeah. a girl, uh, you know, girl punk band podcast yeah they girl were power. yeah that's yeah right. girl power right and this time we're going to do a whole show on him in june we got a show on phil specter we're going to talk about his life <laughs> mata hoople muddy waters muddy waters uh, we're going to do a show on another five live albums that rule and they're okay. all great they're all great album yep yep um that's for june and in july We've got an interesting show um, on the 5th about Elvis and Johnny Cash, the Sun Years, Sun Records Years. Yeah. Uh, we're doing another interesting show the week after about Ed Sullivan and rock and roll. That's going to be very... How much the Ed Sullivan show had a big deal to do with the, the early years of, of rock. Um, on the 19th of July, we're doing a show on Sid Barrett and early Pink Floyd. Wow. Okay, because... That's the only Pink Floyd I like, but okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and then, and then probably one of the most interesting shows I think we've ever scheduled. I think a lot of people might not really even know too much about these guys. You might know about one of them, but the whole two of them together is Jeff Lynn and Roy Wood. Okay. Uh, Jeff Lynn uh, went on to form ELO. Okay. Yeah. In the seventies. But before that he was in a band with Roy Wood called The Move, and they were a very popular British band, garage band. They're on, like, the Nuggets collections and things like that, but they were a great band in their own right, and they're probably one of the biggest British bands ever to never make it in the States. Yeah, that's, okay. a, that's amazing. So, yeah, so we're going to talk about The Move. We're going to talk about the beginnings of ELO, Yeah, but we're also going to talk about Roy Wood's band after the move called Wizard. Wizard, all right. And they were a a, a strange glam glitter band. Uh, You know, Roy had long, straggly hair, kind of like Rob Zombie with a beard, but he used to wear glitter makeup on top of the beard. You know, just it's like Um. crazy. Okay, (laughs) but uh, definitely, I've always enjoyed their music. Okay, and and I think it's something that I want to want to talk about because I think a lot of people 
Americans don't really know about them. You know, you know who we should talk about, and you think it's going to be funny, but I think we should do it short. Cheech and Chang. Cheech and Chong. Cheech and Chong. I think that would be great. <laughs> do you remember the we should album? Do. Remember we the could Abba do a show with Scott the Clown. Oh, yeah. The album with the big fucking, that had the giant fucking, uh, that you can roll. It was a giant bamboo. It yeah. Dry. Yeah, it was like a Tyson. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, I, I mean, sure, I'll do a show on Cheech and Chong. I, I think no that'd be good. That. With Scott the Clown, that'd be funny. Yeah, right? we could review Up in Smoke or something, you know. <laughs> You know, we might be up and smoke by then. <laughs> well, we could, yeah, we could smoke and review it at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> it might be legal in New York by then, like really legal. Well, like, just go to the store and get it. Hey, we need to smoke them if you got them. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mike, thank you for another one. And guys, see you next week. We got a lot of good shows coming up and a lot of rock and roll to talk about. Remember, don't get drunk. Get lumped up. See you next week. Take care, people. The only podcast you will hear That will be music to your ears It's only here on The Rock Show